Hey friends, Pastor Brooks here. I just want to thank you for checking out this podcast and to acknowledge that this teaching was created in collaboration with Practicing the Way and John Mark Homer. They are doing great work to provide discipleship resources for the church, and so we give them our gratitude and encourage you to check them out at practicingtheway.org. For now, enjoy the podcast. Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 16 through 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill this place? Would you prepare our hearts to receive from you? Um, And would you just lead us to adopt a posture of of openness this morning? Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. So last week, uh, we had a service devoted entirely to prayer and worship. Um, And I think that those of you who were there would agree with me when I say Man, what a, what a beautiful time. What a blessed time. Um, I know prayer and worship services are, are kind of a regular thing here in our community, um, but I feel like there was just something in the air last week. Uh, I really feel like the Spirit is breathing new life into this space, into our hearts, and into the community. Um, God is planting seeds here in our church. There are, there are glimpses of something new in our midst. And it's so small right now that if you blink, you'll miss it. But I, re- I really believe that there is a move of the Holy Spirit happening in our community. Last Sunday, the things that are taking place in our community groups, uh, the fact that our family is growing, like these are signs. There's signs that encourage and signs that ultimately tell us, stay faithful, hold on to hope, run the race, and expect his presence and his power. But last Sunday, we prayed, as we always do in our prayer services, for three categories. Uh, First, our our own personal relationship with and discipleship to Jesus. Two, our community. And three, the world. Where specifically, we prayed for desire, right? That That we would tune into the longings of our souls and deeply and desperately desire Jesus. And that all that we do would reflect that desire. And as the days get colder, as the holidays are approaching, we prayed for compassion. We pray for wisdom and a heart of mission, asking God to show us how to be a presence of aid, of care, and hospitality in our community, especially to those in need. And then lastly, Sam led us as we prayed for uh, just the countless Israelis and Palestinians who are, are suffering and just living through a nightmare right now. 
Uh, we prayed for relief, for comfort, for healing. And we prayed for supernatural peace. That we would not take sides, but instead identify with the hurting on both sides. And to acknowledge the very real presence of evil behind all of the hate and all the atrocities. The truth is, friends, we desperately, desperately need to pray for these things and to pray without ceasing, as Paul writes. Because the reality is, here in Everett, it's, it's all too easy for us to remain out of touch, out of touch with our own souls, out of touch with our community, out of touch with the city, and out of touch with the sufferings of people just living on the other side of the world. And really, I mean, it's, it's no surprise. For one, we live in an age of distraction. We're probably feeling distracted right now. We as a culture are incredibly distracted and distractible with a million things just constantly vying for our attention and getting it. And for a lot of us, our lives are characterized by extreme busyness. And then on top of that, we live in a time where, where, where loneliness is actually considered a social epidemic. And we live in a country where things like convenience and, and creature comforts are the norm, they're expected, and they're taken for granted. And so when it comes to our, our relationship and our discipleship to Jesus, like I have an inkling that a lot of us would describe it like this. I, don't, I just don't feel very close to Jesus right now, or I don't feel him near. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's whatever. I'm kind of apathetic about it. Or I've got bigger priorities. Or even, I'm not even really sure I want him near. You know, there's a lack of depth and intimacy. I'm sure some would hesitate to call Jesus a friend. When it comes to our prayer lives, I have an inkling that many would say, eh, it's pretty meh or mid, or my prayer life is boring, to be honest, or even, I don't even know why I pray other than out of habit. When it comes to our community, again, if we're honest, it's easier to just remain isolated. And I'll be honest with you, like, when it comes to where I am as a disciple of Jesus, like, my weakness is outreach. And so that's something that I'm working on with him. But walking down the streets of downtown Seattle, walking down the streets of downtown Everett, encampments by the freeway or under any cover possible, the same houseless person at the end of the off-ramp, these sights are so normal that we hardly bat an eye. When it comes to war halfway around the world and the reality that our Israeli and Palestinian brothers and sisters endure on a daily basis, we really have no idea. No idea what it's like to, to fall asleep and then wake up to gunfire and explosions, never knowing if your block will be next. Never knowing if the next day could bring news of one, ten, a hundred, or thousand casualties or if someone you know will be a part of those numbers. And this is, this is ironic, because as a predominantly Vietnamese-American community descended from a war-torn generation, we're pretty out of touch with the experience of our, of our forefathers. It's hard for us to sympathize with the traumatic experiences of our own parents and our grandparents. And they're only one generation away, and a lot of us still live with them. 
So all this to say, it is just very, very easy to let our hearts grow cold, to give in to apathy. And the reality is also this, one service, one prayer service every month or so will not ultimately align our hearts to Jesus or deepen our discipleship to him or help us to identify with the needy and the suffering. It is just not enough of a counterweight to all of the other things bombarding our minds and taking up real estate in our hearts. So the grand question is this. What do we do? How do we guard against this? Does scripture, does Jesus offer a model or method? Is there a practice from the way that Jesus lived his life that we can adopt, practice, incorporate into our own lifestyles or our own rule of life, if you use that language? For those of you who are newer to our church, or or, I don't know, maybe you're not new, but you can use a refresher, we call our community True North. And there's a reason for that. Just as any good compass points to true north, our goal here is to lead lives pointed by Jesus, our true north. So if you are ever wondering, the answer is yes, we do have an agenda here. We do have an agenda for your lives here. We want to lead inner lives pointed by Jesus so that we can then lead outer lives that point others to Jesus. So to state it very clearly, friends, like we want to be disciples. We want to apprentice under Jesus as our master, being with him, doing life with him and living life as he did, imitating him so that we would become more and more like him. Because we believe that our greatest joy is found in deep intimate communion with him. And we believe that what the world needs is more true disciples of Jesus partnering with him to bring about the healing, the revival, and the renewal that he wants to bring. In our souls, in our wounds, in our relationships, in our our families, in our homes, in our communities, our cities, and ultimately the world. So to return to the matter at hand, is there something from the life and way of Jesus that we can adopt and practice to to grow our desire for him and to deepen our relationship and our discipleship to him? Is there a practice that could help us fight against the temptation and the addictions that plague us and the sin patterns that we just can't seem to shake? Is there something that could enrich and bring a fresh spark, depth, and power to our prayer lives? And is there an ongoing practice that could help us identify with the needy and the suffering? The very people that Jesus himself went to. You know these are leading questions. As it turns out, there is. Uh, Today, we began our four-part series on fasting. And I know that right as I said that, some of you were like, what? Or you, uh, no. And some of you are like, oh, that 
thought that's, I thought that's something like only really intense monks in the mountain to do. Or something that hyper-pious religious folks do. I know for some, it's, it's complex and a little loaded. We live in a time when, when body image struggles and eating disorders are an unhealthy norm. The idea of fasting triggers something in all of us from apathy all the way to apprehension. And so my hope and my prayer is that we'll go through this and, and practice this together with grace, care, intention, and a genuine openness to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. To kick things off, as disciples of Jesus, as those who want to follow him, learn from him, imitate him, so that we can open ourselves to being transformed by him, we need to know this simple truth. Jesus fasted. Now, we need, to, we need to know that scripture says that Jesus came eating and drinking, meaning Jesus feasted, like a big part of his ministry and, and his chosen method of outreach was hanging out with people and eating with them. Like, I hear that, and I'm like, that is awesome. I love that ministry model. But Jesus also fasted. After he was baptized, before starting his ministry, before doing anything spectacular or productive for the kingdom, he fasted. He fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Throughout biographies of Jesus, we read accounts of him fasting. Now, here in our church, we feast, right? Like in our community groups this week, we feasted. If you are in women's group, it was hot pot and fine cake. If you were in men's group, it was everything fried under the sun. Potlucks and celebrations around food are a regular thing here, and it's wonderful. But these days, most Christians do not fast. Not a judgment, just an observation. We have a lot of staple Christian activities, prayer, reading the Bible, being part of a church, going to small group, putting on worship nights and outreach events. Maybe even observing Sabbath and practicing solitude. But for most Christian circles, fasting would not make that list. But we know that Jesus fasted and that it was a crucial part of what he did. And so we have to ask the question, by avoiding fasting, could we actually be missing out on something not just important, but life-giving and powerful? Hopefully you still have your Bibles open. I want to read out of Matthew 6 again. And this comes out of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Two things to notice here. First, notice how Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. Meaning, 
Jesus assumes that his disciples, his followers, will practice fasting. Second, Jesus also says that when you fast, your Father, God, will reward you. Meaning there is something good on the other side of fasting. A gift. So today, we take our first step into fasting uh, in three very simple movements. Who, what, and why. So, the first, who. Who fasted? Brief history here. Fasting is actually something that the Christian faith shares with a lot of other world religions. It's a part of Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, among others. But the first to mention fasting as a spiritual practice in all of human history is in the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Moses fasts for 40 days on Mount Sinai, and then God gives the command to the Israelites to fast on the Day of Atonement. If you have any Jewish friends, that's called Yom Kippur. From that point on, we see it throughout the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament. Jesus' day, it was still common practice for Jews to fast twice a week. And Jesus' followers continued this practice. In the early church after Jesus, Christians continued to fast twice a week. In our community here, we have observed Lent, which is the six-week period leading up to Easter. Traditionally, Lent was a time of fasting. Ramadan, which is celebrated by Muslims, is actually based off of Lent. So basically, from the Old Testament through Jesus' time and the earlier church up to the past couple hundred years, fasting was a staple for the people of God. And in some parts of the world, fasting is still a core part of Christians in the Middle East, Asia, and Africa, not surprisingly, third world countries where the need for Jesus is more immediately and desperately felt. For Christians in these parts of the world, for the early church and for Jesus, fasting was and is essential and powerful. But unfortunately, nowadays in, in the Western church in America, here, it is regrettably neglected. And so again, I wonder, are we missing out on something? And if so, like what if we recaptured this ancient, essential, and powerful practice? And I know what you're thinking. Wow, Brooks, I definitely feel like we're missing out on something. I'm ready to start fasting. Tell me how. Right? I thought so. On to the second point then, the what. So let's talk basics. What is fasting? Uh, first, we'll start with what it's not. Uh, every year around Lent, uh, we'll hear things like, ah, this year for Lent, I'm going to remove TikTok or, or disable my Insta, social media cleanse. Or I'm going to drink less coffee or less boba. Or I'm going to stop shopping for 40 days. Now, these are all healthy choices, probably good ideas, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do stuff like this, but it is not fasting. This is abstinence, also a healthy practice, but fasting is not the same as abstinence. Fasting is, very simply, not eating food. Now you're thinking, 
gosh, for how long? Good question. How long does a fast typically last? Common practice was and is from waking until sundown. But we also see, see examples in scriptures of, of multi-day fasts. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the, in the wilderness. A friend of mine fasted for 40 days before proposing to his wife. I fasted for 40 days when we were praying for Phoebe to live. Now, when does one fast? Well, mostly up to you, but throughout the Bible and on through history, we see two different categories, two types of fasting. Fasting as a rhythm and fasting as a response. So fasting as a rhythm would mean fasting on a regular basis, once a week consistently or twice a week like the early church did. But we also fast as a response, usually to a crisis of some kind, to, to fight sin or to repent of sin, uh, or to grieve a loss. For example, in the book of Esther, the Jewish people are threatened with genocide. And so Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast, and they are saved. In Jonah, after he finally obeys God and warns the people of Nineveh that doom is coming, the king calls for a city-wide fast, and they are spared. And then in 1 Samuel, when King Saul dies, the entire nation fasts for seven days. This is fasting as a response. Now, I know it's easy to read today's text uh, where Jesus is talking about fasting in secret, and so this begs the question, should we fast alone or in community? Bear in mind that Jesus is talking about fasting for show here, not necessarily fasting in community. And so we should do both, fast alone and in community. It helps to have the solidarity of sisters and brothers, like we're here to do this together. And now this takes us then to the last and possibly the most important point, the why. Why fast? First and foremost, we fast to offer ourselves to Jesus. Offer ourselves to Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to cover these reasons. We fast to, to offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in holiness, and by that I mean fight sin. Uh, three, to amplify our prayers. And then lastly, we fast to identify with the poor. But the primary reason in our focus today is to offer ourselves to Jesus. This is at the heart of fasting. Like we talk a lot in our community of letting Jesus into our lives more and more, giving ourselves to him more and more. Fasting is an embodied physical way of doing just that. There's a reason why early Christians fasted specifically on Wednesdays Fridays. Wednesday was the night Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Friday was the day he was crucified. Pastor and author John Mark Comer writes this, the early disciples were getting in touch at a bodily primal level with what the New Testament writers called participating in the sufferings of Christ. They were intentionally adopting the pattern laid down by Jesus of dying and rising. Death to self, followed by life in God. Not out of hate of the body or weird pleasure, but out of a burning desire for Jesus to be with him and to become like him. 
This is the ultimate reason for fasting. Hunger for Jesus and for his transformation. The theologian and and pastor John Piper calls it whole body hungering for God. Now, as we alluded to earlier, hunger might not be the word that you use to describe your feelings toward God. It might be apathy, if anything. And if that's where you're at, that's okay, no shame. But if this is you, that is a great reason to fast. Comer writes again, Fasting has the potential to awaken the latent hunger within all souls for God. Meaning, enduring physical hunger can help us get in touch with the hunger that our souls feel for God. When we fast, we offer our bodies and our whole lives to God. And so at its core, fasting is an act of worship and faithful surrender. So to end, let's talk about the body. Why offer our bodies? Paul writes in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We talk a lot about giving God our hearts, opening our hearts to Jesus. We definitely should. But notice Paul's choice of words. Present or, or offer your bodies, not just your heart. Remember, God created physical human beings to be in relationship with him and to co-rule with him, not just angelic beings. We were created as bodies. Jesus came in a body. He came to us in a bodily form to save our bodies. He died a bodily death and was resurrected as a body. And when Jesus returns, the same thing will happen to us. We will be resurrected in bodily form, not just as spirit ghosts of some kind, like at the end of Star Wars. And so to God, our bodies matter. Therefore, what we do with our bodies matters. Paul very famously writes again, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So glorify God in your body. Most of the the spiritual things that we do have to do with the mind, right? Think, reading the Bible, hearing this sermon, discussing, or or they have to do with the heart. Think prayer or, or worshiping through singing, community, fellowship, these things engage the heart. And all of these things are good for our discipleship to Jesus, our relationship with him. But fasting is how we deeply engage our physical bodies in discipleship to Jesus. Fasting connects discipleship from an idea in our heads to a practice that we do with our bodies and by extension, our lifestyles. Fasting is how we declare, I want to be all in Jesus. Take my mind, take my heart, take my soul, but also take my body. 
it's yours. It's worship. Fasting, the heart of it all is worship. Remember, Paul writes, therefore, by the mercies of God, or if you're reading the NIV, in view of God's mercy, we fast for God because of what God has done for us. He gave us everything. Jesus offered his body to save us. And so we offer our bodies in response as an act of devotion. This is why we fast. We practice giving up a little because he gave it all. Worship. Now I'll be honest with you. The first time I practiced fasting, I felt zero spiritual growth. I did not feel any closer to Jesus. I just felt really hungry. And then I felt really hangry, extra irritable because I was so hungry. But the effects are cumulative, just as the effects of of things like prayer Sabbath, solitude are rarely immediate. They can be, but they're rarely immediate. But rather, they are cumulative, meaning they transform us over time. Following Jesus is about running the long race, not the quick sprints. The more I stuck to regular fasting, the more I realized just how much I depended on creature comforts and food. Like, I I don't know about you guys, I stress eat. The more I realized how much I depended on distractions every day. And so first, fasting for me was, apart from the hunger, just very revealing. But the more I stuck with it, the more I found the power of the Spirit as I battled things like distraction things like addiction. The more I stuck with it, the more I found that my flesh had less power over me. The more I stuck with it, the more I found my prayers to be fueled by a deeper faith and a deeper desperation. The more I stuck with it, the more distractions drifted away, offering me a clearer channel to to connect with God and to hear from Him. And as these cumulative effects piled up, the more I realized that Jesus was, in fact, near, with me, loving me, hearing me, and empowering me and changing me. Transformation is a very slow process. But then again, all good things, all that is worthwhile in this life is slow. Love, relationships, learning a craft or a skill, as well as spiritual maturity, discipleship, and communion with Jesus, all slow. So over the next few weeks, we're going to step into this together. And to be clear, there's, there's no requirement. It's always your choice. 
but I invite you to adopt a posture of, of openness and worship, to take a step of devotion, a risky step of self-denial and disrupting your usual lifestyle, trusting that as Jesus says, there is a good gift waiting on the other side. True North, let's begin this journey into fasting together as a community. Will you stand and pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your life, for your lifestyle, and for the model that you give us for living a life of constant nearness, constant proximity, and, and growing intimacy to the Father. We thank you, Jesus. And so now we pray that we would abide as you did through a practice like fasting. We pray for open minds and softened hearts and a posture that just says, Jesus, I'm ready to try this. I am ready to experience hunger, but ultimately I'm ready to give myself to you and be changed by you over time, not overnight. Give us the endurance to run the long race and the faith to trust you. So Holy Spirit, come and empower us and lead us into something new, something a little risky, but something ultimately life-giving. We pray this all in your name. Amen.